the incomparable. Number 585. October 2021. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. This is our third episode of our book club's walkthrough, the shortlist nominees uh, for Best Novel from the Hugos and the Nebulas. And you're saying, well, wait a second. Don't they hand out the Hugos in August? Friends, they usually do, but not this year. This year, they're handing them out in December. So we took our time. <laughs> we uh, we are going to talk about two of those novels, the last two that we haven't talked about in our two previous episodes. We're also going to talk about the Hugo nominees for short fiction, uh, which uh, some of which you can probably find on the internet, which is kind of nice because you can go mm-hmm. read them yourself. I mean, you can find everything on the internet, but you, you, some of the stuff is actually out there for free. Others you will need to pay for, of course, uh, but they're still on the internet. And at the end, of course, we'll talk about stuff that we've read recently that we liked, and I'm going to make my panelists rank the Hugo nominee novels uh, from best to worst because I mean that way. And they're mm-hmm. the people you expect. Aline Sims is up first. Hello. Hello, this is the first year I've read all of the short fiction, and I am so excited. Excellent, excellent. Scott McNulty is here. Hello. Hello. I, too, am excited. <gasps> and Erica Ensign, are you excited? I am. I, oh. I have, oh, I, I'm, I'm so close to being completely done. I, there's one novel that I haven't gotten to yet, but I've, I've got everything else in the bag. Well, we'll tell you all about it, you know, those of us who have read it. We'll tell you all about it. But first, we should talk about novels that we all read a very long time ago. Oh, dear. <laughs> At least a little bit, mm. just to touch base on them. Um, they are Harrow the Ninth and The Relentless Moon. Um, where should we start, do you think? Let's do Harrow the Ninth because yeah. I didn't like it. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> Um, I looked. I looked at uh, a spoiler alert uh, for Goodreads. If you're friends of the people you do book clubs with, you can see what they thought of the book before you start. Mm-hmm. I'm with Aline. I also did not like it at all. Um, okay. So yeah. So this is the sequel to Gideon the Ninth, which was a book that I believe last year we discussed, and several people liked it a lot more than I did. Loved it. Loved it. I loved it. I, I so much. Yeah, and I know Dan liked it a lot. Yep. Um, I, I enjoyed Dan? it a lot too. I do. For a second, I thought you were calling Who's him Dan? Dino Dan. And I was like, is that Dan's new nickname? We all, <laughs> we all, you know, you all know Dan, right? Dan Morin. Um, he liked Dino it, Dan. and I, uh, getting the ninth. I, I thought it was fine. I thought I, I had some problems with it, uh, but I, I did like it. This is the sequel. I would not have read the sequel if it were not one of the nominees. <laughs> I did read it. And what I what I will give it credit for is it is incredibly ambitious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is ambitious in the story it's telling because the first book is it's an interesting world that it's set in. People complain when we talk about world building, but it had a lot of good world building people. Uh, we, we debated <laughs> world we, building's important. We debated yeah, whether it had, takes place in space since it's mostly on a planet. That was a thing that we talked about because we always do that. Uh, but True. it was also kind of a locked castle mystery as well. This, when I talk about the um, just how ambitious Harrow the Ninth is, it is blowing open the kind of like the the this enormous setting of uh the the that we only get a peek of in the first book where you've got this emperor and the nine houses and there's all this sort of resurrection magic that's going on and we get a sample of it and I, actually 
strangely now I look back at Gideon the Ninth and think it was actually quite gentle to us in introducing yeah. <laughs> us to these concepts. Harrow the Ninth is not gentle. There's a lot of big ideas. It's really ambitious. And I haven't even mentioned yet the narrative structure of this book, which is set in sort of two timelines and it's cheating. And one of the timelines at least has a narrator who is not reliable. It's a lot. And I don't I don't know how why Aline came to dislike it. I came to dislike it again, I admire its ambition. I, I felt like it failed to clear the bar that it set for itself, that it, it was on such a high difficulty level. I just don't think it met it. I think it's kind of incoherent and um a mess. <laughs> and I think its greatest failure is that uh, the first book, spoilers for the book we talked about last year, but the first <laughs> book ends with the main character, who is a very interesting, fun character, dying and dying quotes. It's weird resurrection magic and all that. And this book, um, basically, that character is is off stage and a less interesting character is put in her place. And so <laughs> for these reasons, I found it kind of a, 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 a admirable failure that's my that's my take Aline I don't know if your reasons for disliking it were similar to mine um I don't I don't know exactly but um I had I had a lot of anxiety actually going into the book because so many people from different corners of my life were talking about how confusing it was yeah and I was like oh okay I'm in for another I always bring this up with confusing books nine fox gamut I, I thought that I was going to be in for something like that. I wasn't confused. They tell you right up front that there's an, it, it literally, I think it literally says that she is crazy, like in a clinical sense. And so it's like, oh, I can't trust any of this. And that's kind of, I didn't have a problem with it. But it felt disjointed. Um, people who listen to book club episodes might remember that I am all about characters and feeling like um i can relate to the characters um even if i don't understand them um i have often have to like them in some way not always but you know like i i need to be able to connect with them in some way had a really hard time doing that with this book and then like the last quarter felt like an entirely different book from the first three quarters. And to be fair, and, I think a better book at the end. I think. Yeah, it's <laughs> no. Yeah, that's when I thought it got really, it actually got pretty good. And yeah, I just, I just couldn't, I just, I couldn't get into it like I did Gideon the Ninth, which again, I absolutely adored. And in fact, I read Harrow the Ninth so long ago. When was this? I think I read it a year ago. <laughs> yeah, wow. I, I read it. I read it four months ago, and I thought leading up to this, to doing this, I was like, I should skim through it or I should like listen to it again. And I just couldn't make myself do it. I just couldn't, I just didn't want to do it. And um, I was huge. I, I don't know. I was just really disappointed. I just, it didn't come together for me like Gideon the Ninth did. I I'll, I will say, though, if do you like soup? If you like soup... <laughs> There's a lot of soup in Harrow the Ninth. Uh, but there's a huge, by the way, full credit to whoever on Wikipedia wrote the detailed plot synopsis of Harrow the Ninth. Uh, I, I'm going to take it at its word that it's accurate. I read a lot of this and thought, really? That was what was happening there? But I will, I just want to point out, no mention of soup in the in this, this enormous what? synopsis. Come on, there's soup. They make soup. 
It's very it's a big role. Soup. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, Scott and Erica, I think you both like this book, so please tell us uh, about that. What's uh, wrong with you? No. Okay. <laughs> go, Scott. Go. I, I too, read it a year ago, <laughs> uh, which makes it difficult to remember what happened in the book. And I did read the Wikipedia summary, and I still don't remember any of that happening. <laughs> do you remember the soup? Uh, I do not remember the soup. Oh. Uh, but I will – what I do remember is – so uh, Gideon the Ninth was uh, – you know, kind of made a big splash and people liked it. I liked it and you you would think you're writing a follow-up. You might want to kind of follow the same formula that was so successful because, you know, you want your books to be successful. So I give uh, the author credit for not doing that <laughs> uh, because this is a very different book and I uh, do enjoy books – that are structurally complex and I am confused while reading it for a good while, which I do remember as I was reading Harrow the Ninth being slightly confused as to what I was reading and how this, like I knew what Gideon the Ninth, the ending was. So I knew kind of the bridge of, you know, the story, but it was not going the way that I thought it was going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I enjoyed that. Um, and, uh, that's about all I remember of it being enjoyable. So there you go. That's my two cents. I liked it. I don't remember really why, though. I I, I didn't love it. I liked it. Uh, I also had heard a lot of people saying it's it's really confusing, and I didn't like it. Like that's that was that was basically the consensus from the people that talked about it to me. So I also probably wouldn't have have read it if it wasn't going to be a book club book or a Hugo book. So I went into it trepidatious. As Aline did, and um, I I didn't really know what the heck was going on at the beginning of it, but I I was okay with that, I guess. I mean, honestly, I did. There was a, a little while where I kind of thought, "Is this going to be a thirty three percent book? Am mm-hmm. I going to be putting this down when I hit that thirty three percent mark in my Kindle?" And I think by that time, I had become so interested in what the heck is happening like i was i was confused but i thought i was sort of starting to put things together around the edges and i kind of just wanted to keep reading to see if the little glimpses that i thought that i was having of what was going on ended up being right and sometimes they were and and sometimes they were less right also i love soup soup is great um it helps it's very important to this to this book you know reading the goodreads (laughs) reviews of it i i was amused that um, the most fervent admirers of this book seem to have the same review, which is, I had no idea what was going on, but it was awesome. And I thought, okay, I agree with half of that. Yeah. So, yeah. so not I mean, in that camp. It is, it is sure. definitely. And, and Scott, I mean, I know you love stuff like this that is, is like, I don't know what I'm seeing here, and let me see if I can figure it out. Like, and I, I, I often like that, too. Um, and, and that's why I wanted to praise. So Tamsin Muir is the author. I love the ambition of this. I want I want to see books this ambitious. I just didn't think it worked. And I think that the biggest problem you mentioned like you mentioned having it not be like the last book. Like I you know, I can give authors a hard time for playing the hits and saying I was just on a podcast where I mentioned like The Hunger Games was a big hit and so the second Hunger Games book is basically The Hunger Games again. And it's like I could criticize it. I think I think it was better the second time because you got a second <laughs> crack at it. Um mm-hmm. And if you keep playing the hits, it will get boring. But um, 
but that first book had something to it that is it's very much not other than the universe it's set in not like that first book and it's missing at the the whole and it's part of the mystery of Harrow the Ninth which I yeah. get it but but it it's still the fact is Gideon's not in it that's and, and that's and the that's part tough. that I think it's that was what turned me off at the beginning and then weirdly I I don't know maybe it was Stockholm syndrome but I came to <laughs> enjoy it because yeah I was expecting I wasn't expecting Gideon to necessarily be in the book because I knew that Gideon had died at the end of, of Gideon the Ninth um but I had expected that uh you know the end of Gideon the Ninth the way that it's supposed to happen is they're supposed to sort of like merge and Gideon's soul becomes a part of uh of Harrow and so I thought that Maybe it was going to be that we were getting, you know, Gideon talking inside her head or something like right. that or or anything. And then instead, what you get is basically a Gideon shaped hole in the middle of the story as, exactly it starts, it. as it starts to go along. And I was slightly annoyed at first, but then as it kept going, like this hole became bigger and deeper and wider. And it was just it became more and more interesting to me to be like, okay, what? Where where is Gideon? What happened? Like obviously she has sort of been erased from the past somehow, but was she erased from the past or has she, you know, it is the the line about, you know, her being clinically insane actually correct? And it all I'm not entirely convinced that it worked. So I, I may be on the same page with uh, with Aline and Jason here that it didn't quite work. But the ambition plus mm. the amount that it did work for me, I think, led me to say that I liked this book and I'm, I'm glad that I read it. I'm not sorry that I, I spent my time on it. I will never read it again, <laughs> probably. Uh, but but I'm, I'm glad that I did. So, so yeah. It, it, it's not like a firm, like, oh, my God, you have to go out and read. I would not recommend this book, honestly, mm. to anybody but Scott, probably. <laughs> I, I think I would have recommended it to Scott. So, I don't know how to take that, but. No, I, I, I totally, I think it's good, Scott. I think it's like he's he's up for a challenge. And yes. He, he relishes yes. a challenge. I haven't yep. even, I mentioned the soup. I haven't even mentioned the other thing, which is um, there is this whole segment of this where there are these resurrection beasts and there's this place called the river that's like a sub-dimension or the mm -hmm. Wikipedia co summary calls it like an afterlife, but I read it as being like a, a pocket dimension or a parallel dimension or a subspace or something. And that stuff is the weirdest thing in the book, all of that stuff. And it reminded me almost of like China Mieville or something where it's just like, mm -hmm. like and again, if to do a, a, a riff on something like China Mieville, like, the ambition, Tamsin Muir is going to just go all out. And I, I applaud that. It, it, like, mm -hmm. the book didn't work for me, but like a gold star for the fact that I, I love that she did this because it's it would have been so easy to do another locked castle mystery uh, with, the, with a similar cast of characters. And that's not what this book is at all. It's completely bananas. <laughs> so yeah, like, you thought that house was weird. Here's, uh, here's what everything else is happening in the outside of that house. And it's way super, weirder. Super weird. It's, yeah. It's bizarre. <laughs> also God and, is John. So be okay with that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And also I, I do want to say she is a great writer. Like her, her prose is lyrical and um, like she just she just she paints word stories. It, I mean, it's just and it can be snappy and it can be funny. Yeah. Like she's got a lot of yeah, really good prose style yeah. talent for sure. 
So it's definitely not that I I I didn't like her writing. I just didn't like the story. <laughs> <laughs> and and it is a bold choice. So Gideon uh, the Ninth works so well because, as Jason said, Gideon is a great character. Yeah. And, and then at the end of it, you know, Gideon's dead. And then in this book, you would think, well, maybe Gideon's not really dead. Uh, but this whole book, as uh. uh mentioned was she carved out of the memory so it's not even really part of it so that that's a bold choice as an author to say hey i know i have this really great character um let me just completely erase her (laughs) yeah yep (laughs) well i think we've really done it justice and i think there are people out there listening who are like oh that sounds really good and there are people like nope and that's i think that's good we've educated you about whether you should try this book or not (laughs) Mm -hmm. um but there's a lot a lot to be admired about i think i'm gonna read this book it sounds good um, yeah, you should you should see what happens. So the other book uh, that we are going to talk about is The Relentless Moon by Mary Robinette Kowal. Uh, this is the third book in the Lady Astronaut series. Uh, we talked about the first two books last year. This is interesting. I, I want to say for people who have not read those books, I think you could read this book having not read the other two you books could. in the series. Yeah. Yep, Erica did. <laughs> well, I read one of them. Okay, and, and it is it is a uh, it is it, I think it takes place concurrently with the second book in the series. Um, basically, there are two things happening simultaneously, and there are nods to what happens in book two in book three. But you could read it without, and it wouldn't matter. Um, this is a a book set in this universe where um, the space program happens a little bit early because it's an alternate history and there's a meteor strike on the East Coast and they, they uh, think that maybe the Earth isn't going to survive and they need to get people into space. And so the men and women who are left in the space program are moving very quickly to go to the moon and Mars and all of that. But this book in particular, following a different character, obviously from book one and two, in uh, book two, she's on her way to Mars. So there's a different character who we know from book one. Um, and this is uh, Nicole, and she is uh, a pilot and a lunar settler, basically, flying around on the lunar base. And in this book, you know, and, and, and what surprised me is this book is also a locked <laughs> castle <laughs> slash moon base <laughs> mystery about a series of events that look start to look more and more suspicious, like sabotage. And it starts to dawn on people that there's political unrest at, or unrest at home, uprising at home, and on the moon, somebody may be sympathetic to this sort of anti-space program agenda and may be putting the lunar base at risk. And it uh, it is very much so. And that's that's what this book is. It's it's a um, much more, I think, than the other two books in this series. It's got that. You know, that mystery, base under siege mystery flavor about it. Base under siege. Yeah, I knew you'd like that, Erica. That, yep. Yep. <laughs> I did. I, well, I, it, it, for those of you who listened however many years ago it was when we covered the first book, uh, I, I thought it was a very good book that was very well written that was very much not for me. Like, just not, I I don't care about the space program. I'm so sorry. I feel like a terrible nerd, but it's just not something yeah. that appeals to me. And I just don't want to watch movies or TV or read books about it. So I was like, yep, good book. 
I'm not going to pick up the second one. And I didn't. And I was fine with that. Then this came along and I asked everybody, okay, do I need to go back and read that second book in order to understand what's happening here? And basically everybody said, no, I think you should be good. And I absolutely was. I could tell that that other book was sort of happening in the background. I think, Jason, maybe you had mentioned to me that it was sort of happening at the same time Mm -hmm. as this book. And I was like, okay, I can see I can see that that's going on over there. And I'm glad that I didn't read that book. Because I don't think I would have liked it very much. Uh, I think the thing that won me over on this book and that I just really loved is the main character in this book appeals to me so much more than the character in the other books. Um, Elma, uh, who is the main character in that first book, she suffers from anxiety. And I think maybe the fact that I understand that really, really well made it like I just... I, I didn't need to read that, whereas the ca- main character in this book um, is, is is dealing with some different challenges. She is anorexic and is dealing with anger issues. And, like, I understand those cerebrally, but I don't have the same uh, emotional connection to it, I guess, as, as I do to the issues of, of Elma. So it was... I just found it really fascinating to get inside the head of this person. And and something that Mary Robinette does very, very well is characters. And I just I felt like I knew this person and was really interested in, like, what is she going to do? How is she going to feel about this? When she's really mad, what does she do to calm herself down? Everything just felt very real, um, but it felt very real in a way that (laughs) didn't trigger me to also feel the same way as that character. And of course, a base under siege. I'm I'm a big fan of that sort of thing. But my favorite parts were actually when she was on Earth and when she was dealing with the uh, like the political stuff, she's she's married to a man who has a political career. He's a senator. He's maybe thinking about running for president. And the way that she's navigating that situation in a woman as a woman, you know, in the time that she's in where, you know, women have maybe come a little farther than they did in our reality, thanks in part to the lady astronaut in that that program. Um I was really interested in her journey and how that all played out. I was I was not disappointed when she went up to space, but I was like reading a little faster. Like, I want to get back. Like, please, please take her back to Earth. I want to see what happens down there. Um, so, I, I mean, I would very happily read another book that is just her going on at the end of this book and taking on the new challenge that she takes on at the end of this book on Earth and to figure out, you know, like, what are the challenges with that? How does she deal with it? And and I would read the heck out of that book, whereas I don't think I'm going to go back and read the second book in the series. But this one I loved. I love, love, loved. I could not put it down. I just wanted to go back to reading it every time I had like a break from work or anything. I was like, must pick up this book again. It was uh, I just found it propulsive and adored it. Aline? Yes, loved it. So good. Um, plug for um, my my audiobook review. Obviously, uh, Mary Robinette yeah. Kowal reads it. She is mm-hmm. amazing. Any any audiobook she reads, I will listen to. Um, except maybe Amber Lowe and those those sequels for those who have listened to many years ago book club episodes. But um, she's just an amazing narrator. And uh, I listened to it twice. Uh, I did the same thing with Harold the Ninth. I think I read this immediately as soon as it came out. I listened to it. And that was, you know, a year ago. So I did listen to this one again um uh, a month or two ago and it was it was good the second time around i will say um there's a polio outbreak yeah. kind of on earth and 
mm-hmm. on the moon. Great uh, timing. Spoiler. Um, yeah. Um, so just just a little bit of warning for people. If you're looking for pandemic escapism, this is not the book. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not on the level of like Station Eleven or um, uh, Sarah Pinkster's book that was mm-hmm. nominated last year. Uh, but like there are a lot of parallels to what we've been going through over the last couple of years. Um, But it was, you know, she, like Erica said, Mary Robinette Kowal writes such amazing characters. I really liked the protagonist. Um, Nicole comes forward from um, the first two books. Um, She is an older astronaut by which I mean, she's like in her mid fifties, I think. Um, which yes. is not that old, but like it's <laughs> it's um uh, I I thought that was excellent that it's not just like oh let's glorify the twenty somethings you know who are in the program, so I really appreciated having that perspective and hearing her talk about like wearing high heels with arthritis in her feet and yeah. <laughs> you know like how the gravity on the moon makes it so much better you know and she doesn't have to wear heels on the moon and like all this um all of the like little details that we get in fiction but since so much of our fiction revolves around uh youth and being young or oftentimes does it was just nice to get to get that perspective on things um and yeah like the characters are so good some of my favorite characters from the first couple of books are also on the moon so we get more time with them um and it really is good book for like if you want to figure out how to take a step back and evaluate situations um it's a really good book to like take as um inspiration because you know they're on the moon they can't panic when something happens Mm -hmm. and like erica said you know she's also dealing with anger management issues so kind of that whole like okay take a breath step back, evaluate, what do we have on hand? You know, like all of the steps, problem-solving steps that they go through and that they're trained to do as astronauts and as settlers on the moon. Um, It's just, I I don't know, it's just something to keep in mind, I guess, like a little bit of instruction that you maybe wouldn't have expected. (laughs) I liked it, but I will say I think it is 150 pages too long. Mm. Uh, And one of the things that annoy me about books is when authors repeat things uh, but aren't using it as a literary convention, right? So uh, did you know that she went to Swiss b- finishing school and that she really likes clipboards? Because you better know by the end of this 500-page book. Uh, and so that those kinds of things just drove me a little crazy. I'll give you the clipboard, but the Swiss finishing school turned out to not be a Swiss finishing school after all. So that one I was yeah, very – But that was the – it was pretty clear to me at the beginning that it was not oh. a Swiss finishing school. Well, you're and smarter that's than what I am, Scott. getting at. And I was like, okay, I get it, book. <laughs> You're a very capable character. I like this book, but I agree with you. I think it, I think also that it's it, it could have been shorter. It it drags at a few points, and I felt like it did it did seem redundant at, at points. I I liked it a lot because I like this universe, and I thought that the mystery aspect of it was fun. But I would agree that it it it's too long and it drags a bit, and it's got some repetition in it, and it's not you know it's not in my top half. But I still liked it quite a bit. It's not a bad I thought thing. once they got uh, – uh, once the part where they're trying to figure out who's 
you know, sabotaging the moon base. I thought it really started clicking, although I could have done without maybe one or two fewer blackouts uh, on the moon. Because uh, mm. I'm like, okay, get the point. But there were a lot. Uh, that's just me. There were a lot of blackouts. Uh, okay, that is that. Those are the books. Those are the books. We, we did it. We did Woo-hoo. it. Okay. Um, let's rank them, and then we'll move on to short fiction. But we're going to rank them. The 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 six nominees. Mm-hmm. I'll go first. How about that? Because that gives you all a, a, a chance to... Whatever. My spreadsheet's already filled out. All right, fine. Whoa, you have a spreadsheet. <laughs> I, I, I have also a have a spreadsheet. You should share I your have, spreadsheet and I'll share my spreadsheet. I have, copy I have a text file that's filled out. All right. Um, I, my ranking is um, Piranesi by Susanna Clark, number one. Black Sun by Rebecca Rowanhorst, number two. The City We Became by N.K. Jemison, number three. The Relentless Moon by Mary Robinette Kowal, number four. Network Effect by Martha Wells, number five. I liked all of those books. And Harrow the Ninth Sixth. <laughs> oh, there's no no award, though. You're not going to do no award and then... Uh... Well, I, I'm, for our purposes, mm. I'm going to rank them one to six. I'm not going to do no award for we don't have no stinking no uh, Erica, you've got a spreadsheet. Tell me what your ranking is. I do. Uh, I also ranked Piranesi number one. Uh, I may change these before. Yeah, me too. Before I actually vote for the Hugos. Because some of them are, are, are a, a bit close. Um, but I do think Piranesi was, was my favorite overall. Uh, Black Sun is my number two. I put The Relentless Moon as number three. Uh, Network Effect as number four. Harrow the Ninth is number five. The city we became is number six. That like take that surprise, okay, Jameson. It surprised me a little bit, but just like overall, I I think I appreciated the the experience of reading Harrow the Ninth more. All right, <laughs> the city we became. Scott, you have a text file. I do. What does uh, it say? Don't be Paranesi. on the incomparable ever, ever again. <laughs> below that, below that. No, no, no. Uh, Paradisi, uh, number one. The City We Became, number two, Network Effect, because I love me some murder bot. Number three, Harrow the Ninth, because I like complicated books. Mm-hmm. Black Sun, and uh, a fifth and sixth is The Relentless Man. All right. And Aline. Mine is very similar to Erica's, but... High five. <laughs> <laughs> we have Black Sun by Rebecca Roanhorse, which I am I'm so looking forward to the sequel coming out ne- next month. Next year, I don't know. Sequel soon. Love it. Um, The Relentless Moon next. Network Effect number three. Piranesi number four. Harrow the Ninth number five. And The City We Became number six. Fascinating. Yep. Books. Books. That's what we have to say. Books. And that means that the official incomparable Hugo vote that is not because those of us who have Mm -hmm. votes will vote the way we want. But the official ranking. (laughs) You must vote in this ranking. Yes. We have just determined. We we are a block now. We are just a voting block. (laughs) Dang it. We're bringing back the voting blocks, people. (laughs) We're going to burn that down. Uh, Our sequence was Piranesi and then Black Sun and then Relentless Moon and then Network Effect. The city we became and Harrow the Ninth in that order. A lot of love for Piranesi out there. Except for the last two, that was exactly what I put. I am middle of the road, you guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's... I'm I'm the average incomparable. Light. Well, you you and I, Erica, voted the same two as the top two. So yeah, we're doing 
We're doing good there. All right. Well, high that five is to you too, Jason. High five high to you too. Fives all around. All right. Let's talk about the short fiction. It's a good crop. I think it's a good mm-hmm. crop. We'll just touch on them pretty quickly. But um, you can find these out there, and I'll try to I'll try to come up with a list and put it in the show notes. But you can also just search for it and find these Google. things. Uh, best novella, <laughs> uh, Come Tumbling Down by Shauna McGuire is the uh, Wayward Children series, latest installment. It is picking up a storyline from maybe the story before last. It's the return of the characters of Jack and Jill. And there's a, like a kingdom with a vampire and a mad scientist. And there's like <laughs> ocean monster worshiping people and stuff. And um, I, I, this is a podcast where we started our book club disliking the work of Shauna McGuire. <laughs> Specific and, works, though. Yes, it, it, that she writes under an alias. Hmm. Maybe <laughs> she also feels that way about them. I don't know. Uh, it doesn't matter. I love this series, and I loved it. It was great. So, thumbs I up. love this. I love this series. I, you know, honestly, the two main, the the two twin sisters are characters that I kind of don't care as much about. But I really liked this book. I think in part because of some of the other characters that mm, were that yes. were traveling. There's a lot of characters. Yeah, they drag. And, it's a whole bunch mm-hmm. of other people who have to go on this mission to this awful place where yeah, Jack and, and I Jill don't like were. Their, I don't like their world either. But the no. characters were so so. <laughs> There's a, a, a Dracula and a Frankenstein and a sea monster. Yeah, it's not good. none of that works for me. <laughs> none of that works for me. And yet, I still like gave this four stars on Goodreads yeah. because I mm-hmm. really enjoyed this one. This is this is. Mm, I liked it kind of a lot better than the last one in that series. So there we go. Uh, the Empress of Salt and Fortune by Niveau. Um, <gasps> this so is, good. I loved it. Yay. I loved High it five. so much. This is yep. like a, almost like a fable of cleaning out the old house of the Empress and the stories that are told. And then there's this unwinding plot about secret messages that is revealed as it goes. And mm-hmm. I thought it was, I, I was, um, the, the same author wrote that, uh, the great Gatsby, um, kind of like take off the beautiful and the something, I don't know, um, that, that our friend Helene Wecker blurbed and is on the front cover of. And I thought that was okay, but not great. This I thought was great, great, great. I thought it was really very fun and an interesting setting. And as you go, you, the plot kind of, the secret plot reveals itself and it ends up being much less about the nostalgia of the past and much more about the very direct thing that's happening in the present. And I thought it was great. Yeah. Yes. It was my favorite of all of the novellas. Mm. I thought it was beautiful. It, I mean, anytime you have a story where you're, as you said, sort of slowly unraveling what has what has been happening in the past and what it means now, and then you've got like it's basically like an archivist priest person who is who is doing this. Like you know, that's mm-hmm. that's singing my tune to begin <laughs> with, and and there's also some like magicy stuff happening, and there's some inter you know politics in between countries and it's just yeah it's beautiful secret romance secret messages Mm -hmm. spycraft yeah i i would like is this a series because i want it to be a series i believe it's the Mm. beginning of one i thought so yeah so i think so yeah totally on board for that all right those were my two favorites by the way of of the novellas were come tumbling down empress of salt and fortune i think empress of salt and fortune is my favorite too erica twinsies um Finna by Nino Cipri is uh, hilarious. Yeah, that was it, my second favorite. It is I really a story. Like it. It, it is a story about when the, what if you get lost in IKEA 
and you end up in a parallel universe <laughs> yep. that also has the, Ikeas. The <laughs> idea that the universes are extra sort of thin and you can get more wormholes in an Ikea. In confusing because, places like Ikea, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they have all of these rooms that are basically different little worlds unto themselves, yeah. right smashed up next so, to each other. And so that funny. thin, like, what a great idea. And then to take it and actually do something interesting with it, with a couple who has just broken up and has to go explore together awkward yeah um it's just yeah and then it just like you they kept adding interesting uh, interesting things and um the uh the, the character that is is added toward the end who is also kind of a character from the beginning of the book uh i just loved her so much she was amazing and it has an ending that made me happy i was gonna say yes. the comedy element where they're like they're going to find a lady who's lost and they find a parallel of the lady who's lost and there's this moment of like this is good enough, right? It's like mm, no! suitable replacement. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, it's very funny. It's good stuff. Yeah, um, I am not allowed to go to IKEA because I get very grumpy. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, my, mm-hmm. my our apartment is like I don't know ninety four percent IKEA furniture, but I am not allowed to go in unless I'm in like a really good mood. And so a lot of this resonated for me because like <laughs> the employees, like they don't want to be there. Nobody mm-hmm. wants to be there. And then they like reluctantly go on this mission to save a customer who's been lost in a parallel universe, which is a thing that they didn't even know existed. Like it's just it was so well done. It was it just chef's kiss it was i loved it it was good okay next is ring shout by p jilly clark uh this is a movie or movie this is a, a no, novella set in the 40s 30s it's set it's set in uh really difficult times where the kkk is roaming the streets in the south um but in the in ring shout the kkk people are also being taken over by Lovecraftian monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, and our characters <laughs> are going to kill them. <laughs> mm. And uh, I, this is a, it reminded me of Lovecraft country uh, in, in some ways. Um, I, it, it has, it is just, it, it is such a fun connection of terrible things in reality with terrible things from, horror fantasy uh and uh i and and it was quite a ride honestly quite a ride with these characters and their various shotguns that they need to use (laughs) to blow away monsters and there's the you know the secret plan that has to go into effect that's going to end the world and and the main character has to have a temptation of saving themselves versus saving the world i i don't know i thought it was a lot of fun it's it's not not one of my top two but i i really enjoyed it and i thought it was funny fun and clever and and kind of gross too yeah. I had to watch a decent amount of Birth of a Nation uh, in film classes and didn't enjoy it. So the well, the fact that they brought that in to this, uh, I thought that was, uh, you know, uh, and the the act of watching a movie being part of what can help, like, take, you you know, open your mind enough to take yeah. you over by Lovecrafty. And, like, it was, there were some really great concepts in here. Yep. The climax is a screening of Birth of a Nation at Stone Mountain. So it's like, let's make this as racist as, as, as possible. possible. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And then we're also going to eat the earth while we're there because the, the clan, because the book starts and you're like, they're going to kill the clansmen. Okay. Well, this is interesting. And then they're like, oh, the clansmen are like alien Beasts. monsters. Mm-hmm. 
And then there's there's a really interesting, interesting uh, side trek into a different universe where there are different weird creatures, uh, which I, I really liked that part. I thought that was really fascinating and interesting. And it was nice. Um, so most of the the characters in the book are people of color. Most of them are black. And um, so it was kind of nice to have they're taking taking back control in Jim Crow South um, mm. was really good. And the thing I really want to call out about the story is I think it is a masterclass in dialect. It is mm. so good at um, switching between like English that we're taught in school versus um AAVE or more Southern vernacular. And like, it's just really good, really good at that. There's a couple different dialects uh, that yeah. go through there. I, I would love to listen to an audio book version of this. All right. Riot Baby by Tochi Onyabuchi is next. Uh, Scott read this one. <gasps> Scott, what, what'd you think? I was excited. Uh, I was like, oh, the novellas, they're usually fun. I'll read this book, uh, this novella. Uh, It wasn't fun, but it was good. Uh, Well-written and uh, interesting and certainly um, depressing. This is sort of Uh, like, uh, uh, what is it, a brother and sister over time uh, into Mm -hmm. the future? And they're sort of like there's superpowers that are gained and and we toggle through sort of like different times. And that's my memory of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I I liked the uh I I liked the concept opening reading the opening of this. I was really excited. Uh and there were bits and pieces of it that I really enjoyed. There's a a big section where the brother is in jail and he's talking about like what life is like in jail. And you know, you can point to sort of any of the set pieces in it and I can be like, yeah, that was good. But somehow I felt like they didn't all hang together as yes. smoothly as I wanted it to. So it didn't feel as much like a cohesive whole as it felt like, you know, here are some little vignettes about different times in the lives of of these characters. And the through line wasn't as strong as I wanted it to be. So while I thought it was it was interesting, it didn't quite hold up to what I was hoping it would be when I read the beginning of it. I agree with all of that. And also, um, I really think this needed to be a novel. I think it needed to be longer. Um, <laughs> the end felt rushed. And I think a lot of it was because, like, they're talking about all of this new technology, like, suddenly. Yeah. But it's not, I don't know, like, it's not, you You hear about people who have been in prison for a long time. Um, I think he was in there eight to ten eight. years. Yeah, I think it was eight. And coming back into, you know, society, regular um, day-to-day life and kind of being blown away by technological changes, you know, like differences in cell phone technology and that kind of stuff. And there were some pretty big things that are even foreign to, I think, us now happening in the book. And he didn't react to it at all. It was just like, oh, yeah, you – you. You have this chip implanted, and it was just like, oh, okay. And I, I don't know. I don't know if that was supposed to be, um, you know, because he'd been in prison and was used to being told, you know, what to do and where to go and all of that. Like, I, I just don't know. And it didn't. The end just did not work for me at all. Mm-hmm. This is the one I like the least, and I don't think it works. Um, so I'll just leave it at that. I, mm-hmm. I, I, uh, it, I was really disappointed by it. 
and um, I'm a little bit baffled by the praise for it because it just I think I think it was a nice swing and a miss. Um, Upright Women Wanted by Sarah Gailey is oh, a so good. post-apocalyptic oh Western um, about a uh, a bunch of uh, revolutionaries slash smugglers and uh, a, a stowaway who is trying to escape the oppressive uh, town that her father is the sheriff of and find a place. Uh, but, you know, it is it is a post-apocalyptic, but also very much it's a Western. I loved it. I just I loved it. It was so good. It's a Western. It was not for me. Ah. I think Sarah, Sarah Gailey is is a great writer. I, I think they also are really good at characters. I mentioned that about some of the other writers. But I don't like Westerns. And I feel like a lot of the times they choose settings that I just bounce right off of. Because uh, was it River of Teeth? Was that their other uh, no, novel, novelette or novella that... Uh, that was nominated a few years ago that also just really didn't didn't work for me i think simply just because of the the setting yeah. i mean the story if you were, if you were to just sit down and like say this is what happens if you know this girl trying to escape her her father and try to you know and learning about how the world is not quite what she thinks it is it, right. like, all of the things that happen in it sound like they're great but i just couldn't get past the setting that's right. just me i liked it um this is the one that i thought it it felt scant it felt like it needed to be more than it was um some of these felt the right length um or even kind of packed and this one felt like i got to the end and i thought is that all there is like it's just i wish there was more i guess that's good but it also sort of felt like not the whole thing if that makes any sense but i liked it I, I don't mind westerns that much all right novelette so now we're going to go a little bit smaller a little bit shorter um, here's an uncanny magazine one, Erica. It's Burn or the Episodic Life of Sam Wells is a super. This is a, a guy who has a firepower, but he gets hired as an, a business manager and accountant, basically. <laughs> and it's told in these episodes of his life working for the superhero group. Um, I thought this was a lot of fun. I like, uh, I like the idea. I enjoy seeing writers try to make sense of superheroes <laughs> and trying to invent how that would work. And in this case, a super team. And there are lots of details that I really like involving people opening like portals to different dimensions and uh, other stuff like that. Like how do these powers work and what's the fallout of that? And it also has a nice ending that is um, very much like you'll, there will be a price that you will have to pay for being a superhero and then th that is a there's a twist at the end that i appreciated in in burn i this is one that i read so long ago okay <laughs> i don't really remember i remember that i liked it quite a bit Great. i may have even read this for the podcast uh for the uncanny magazine podcast uh i think Could i did be. and uh and yeah it was good i i am a sucker for kind of any take on superheroes that that does it well and this one definitely mm. does and i just checked yes i read this <laughs> On See? episode thirty-four B of the Uncanny Magazine podcast, so I totally read it, uh, and yeah, it, it's it's worth reading. I think I need to read it again to remind myself, or just listen to yourself reading it. That's a good idea too. <laughs> the Inaccessibility of Heaven by Elette de Baudard. Um, this is a noir detective story about angels that have been literally cast out of heaven in a city where heaven is visible right above them, and there's like. 
murders and double crosses with angels that are crime lords and angels that are not crime lords and a regular person who's trying to figure it all out. Um, yeah, this is my, anybody uh, who remembers me talking about those books with the, with the, the uh, borderline and all of those other books with the, like mm-hmm. the fairy noir. <laughs> I love this. It's <laughs> <was> great. <laughs> I, I love Elliot. Uh, but this is of her settings that she writes in. I think this is actually my least favorite. So I still enjoy – I always enjoy reading her prose because I, I find it very beautiful and lyrical. Yes. But this setting is not one that totally uh, speaks to me. So I I thought this was was solid, but it didn't uh, – I didn't connect to it in any way. It's Angel Noir. I know. <laughs> it's hilarious. I liked it. My editor brain did not shut up the entire time I was reading this. The world supply of M dashes was used mm. in this book, and I just <laughs> could not get past it. I just, I was like, why is that there? Why are there three M dashes in a 17 word sentence? It doesn't make sense. And, um, I couldn't get past that. I just could not get past the writing style. And I think that's, that's a real big hurdle if you're trying mm. to read a book and enjoy it. As a fan of M dashes, I'm, I'm afraid I'm not going to give you a high five on this. One. I, yeah. I like properly there's executed M dashes. We'll, we'll just make more. There's no run, there's no run on M dashes. We can make mm-hmm. more. We can make as many as we like. Uh, Monster by Naomi Kritzler, or sorry, Kritzer. Naomi Kritzer. This is a story about uh, somebody who basically goes to China. <laughs> to find a classmate who has become a gene-altered monster and kill them. Um, I, I loved this I loved so it. much. Yeah. <laughs> Yay, high five. Yeah. Yeah, this was my. This might have been my favorite of all of these, in fact, of the novelettes, was this one. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah, that it's... whole idea of, like, I have to go far away and, like, there's spies around and I've got my own mission, but it really is like a heart of darkness kind of almost, of, like, i got to find this guy who I who I know or I knew in the past, who mm-hmm. is basically a monster and needs to be killed. Mm-hmm. And the journey to get to that point. And also the the sort of reminiscence of knowing the, this person and, you know, being uh, close to them in yes. some way and trying try, trying to sort of come to terms with the idea that they've basically become a serial killer. And it's, uh, yeah, it, I was I was into this one. And that the, the, the plenty of red flags in the flashbacks of like, <laughs> so many. you should have noticed he is a serial killer. <laughs> but mm-hmm. the main character didn't notice. So now it's killing time. Aline? Yeah, it was good. Okay. Solid. <laughs> it was Check it was out. also also kind of a fish out of water story. Yes. Um, which right. you know, I can appreciate a good fish out of water story from mm-hmm. time to time. Um Two Truths and a Lie by Sarah Pinsker is a very artistic story about memory and I don't know. Cable access? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's a hoarder house. There's a, a a show, a kid's show with a host that may or may not have existed. And the main character may be a spirit of the forest or something. And I don't know. I thought it was... Oh, is that, that what that was? Oh! Uh, I don't know. I, I thought it was... Mm-hmm. I, again, I, I this was one of those stories where I got to the end and I thought that was beautifully written nonsense. 
Yeah, I, I find that Sarah Pinsker, either her stories are so amazing that I want to marry them and have their babies, or I just absolutely kind of bounce off of them. And this was a, a more of a bounce off one yep. because it was beautiful, but I came away from it going, huh? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sort of didn't didn't connect. Anyway, um, two more to go in novelette. The Pill by Meg Ellison was a little inside baseball. Uh, The Hugo Packet just provided what essentially was the manuscript that Meg Ellison submitted for the book. It's not formatted. It's like double-spaced with the name at the Mm -hmm. top. So, And only as a PDF. So uh, that was a bummer, and I, I didn't read it until much later. I have read it. It's a story about the invention of an anti-fat pill and how it ruins society. But there's a twist in that the people who won't take the pill are then valued, but also kind of exploited. And everything is awful on all sides. <laughs> and that's, mm-hmm. that's, it was better than I thought it would be because the first part of it, I thought, I cannot believe what I'm reading. And then I got to the second part and I go, oh, this is intriguing, but it's also really creepy. And oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, it is mm-hmm. actually really creepy. Um, I don't know. That, that, I'm, I'm, any other thoughts about this one? I was like, I, I'm oh. not, a big, not a big fan of it, but there it is. So <laughs> as a human who has been fat for her entire life, I have a lot of feelings about this. Um, I don't know that I have words for it, but I have feelings. <laughs> and <laughs> you know, it it just I do appreciate the the magic antidote for fatness comes with some pretty gnarly side effects, including a one in ten percent chance. Or yeah, one in ten percent not one in ten percent. Thank you. One in ten, ten percent chance that you will <laughs> die was there an m dash between those two <laughs> m dash um and people people very willing to take that which is completely believable um but it just i don't know it was just really really hard to read and talking about at the end of of the story when there are, you know, pretty much everybody has has taken the the pill. Um, if you have not taken the pill and you carry any appreciable amount of fat, um, you were really pressured into into taking it. And then at the end, it's like the fetish fetishization of fat people, and it just it. I understand the point the story was trying to make, but it made me really uncomfortable because I guess it was too real in a lot of ways. And mm-hmm. also fat people are already fetishized and it just, it, it it was, I don't know. I did not, two thumbs down, did not like the story at all. <laughs> just did not like it. I, I thought it was super ambitious. Yes. And I really appreciated that. I wonder if for a story of this length, this is too much to cover because I felt like the, the pill, the pill concept alone felt kind of like a, a thought experiment more than a story. And then 
it gets and I thought, well, this could be biting satire, but it doesn't feel like satire. It feels just kind of like a or or almost like a, a short horror story about it, like Thinner by Stephen King. You can go out and what, read that one. Um, and then it turns into this other thing about this sort of like secret house with the fat people in it and the thin people who are obsessed with the fat people and they pay for it. And the walls are closing in on fat people, but uh, they're in their little house, their little secret house. And that was interesting, but not really drawn with enough detail, I feel like, mm. for it to... I don't know. There's there's a lot here, but it, I just didn't... I wanted like more of it for it to really kind of be fully realized and instead it's just sort of like a a smattering and i guess that's what disappointed me mm-hmm. about it is that it it's trying to address big issues but it doesn't seem to actually want to address them much yeah yeah i i really liked the beginning part talking about the pill like the thought exercise part basically and yeah the 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 part where it's revealed that it's you know one in 10 people are going to die and then the FDA still just rushes it through and approves it anyway. I just like I found myself nodding and going, yep, <laughs> yep that that absolutely rings true. That was really mm-hmm. interesting. And then I I wanted to see what was going to happen to this character from there. And at first I was interested in the like secret lair fetish, fetishization place. Like, OK, where is this going? But it didn't actually go anywhere from there. So I was a little bit disappointed at the end because I wasn't entirely sure like I felt bad like I just felt icky after after reading all of that and I felt like it was I think this was the angriest of all of the stories that I have read for the the Hugos this year um and it definitely didn't make me feel it did make me feel uncomfortable and it didn't make me happy and but I still liked it um so in the end I came like I came out on the positive side I think because I was interested enough in the like it just it felt incredibly raw to me and that sort of spoke to me in a way it was just really really mad and the first part of it was such a like I thought the first part of it was a really well drawn out idea but I definitely agree that the second part of it didn't really go anywhere I mean it went to a house and that was it (laughs) well it went to college and then it went to a house that's right that's right and uh, one more which is Helicopter Story by Isabel Fall now there's a whole story about this story and uh, if I can remember, I will put it in the show notes. Um, Isabel Fall is a closeted trans woman. This is a story about gender and also a satire of the military-industrial complex, military-industrial-cultural complex. It became controversial. <laughs> Isabel Fall was essentially driven off the internet and will never publish under that name again. Uh, a lot of unpleasant stuff about this story. Uh, very controversial. And so all I have to say is uh, a four out of five, I thought it was really good. It's a satire. It's about gender and about war culture, both. And I mean, I guess, I don't know. I guess people get really upset about stuff that maybe they shouldn't. But anyway, I thought it was actually really well done. And uh, an example of uh, small social media circles uh, beating things to death (laughs) that they maybe shouldn't. That's what I have to say about it. 
Yeah, this is the one that I haven't read because of all of that controversy. Like, I just wanted to put as much space and time between it and me reading the story as possible because, yeah, all that left just a really sour taste in my mouth. Yeah. Um, I I thought it was an interesting concept, but I didn't love the execution. I was unaware of the controversy. Um, but I, I think that it's ridiculous. I think that science fiction is a place to explore things like this and... Yeah. Yeah, it's literally that's, that's sad. It's literally that that this author saw the meme and a, a, basically a transphobic meme which was um my gender is attack helicopter and she thought say that's interesting. <laughs> that's an interesting intersection of transphobia and sort of military uh enthusiasm. And what would be, let's take that to an extreme where people are put in attack helicopters with their brains rewired and using parts of their brains that used to be for emotion and for gender identity and instead making them about, you know, launching missiles and bombing schools, which is what happens. And again, yeah, is, is it is it kind of messy and probably... Um, not the not you know it's not perfect it really isn't it's got a lot of issues and yet i read it and i thought this is what people got upset about yeah that's ridiculous so well i think a a lot of trans people saw the the title and were immediately you know ow like that's i think that the naming it after a transphobic meme which is this is i should say helicopter story is the retitled title of it Mm -hmm. yeah so i think it started uh you know well behind the starting line just just because of that i think a lot of people got up in arms understandably so yeah um but that's a lot of people jumping to conclusions without reading the story and understanding what it was about so yeah i get i get being on edge but i think that this is an author who really got the shaft here because this is the story is i think smart and uh yeah i think i think it is it would be hard for me to read this story and think that the author was trying anything but what the author was trying, and yet it still became a social media pile-on, and it's too bad. Let's move on to short stories. Um, Badass Moms in the Zombie Apocalypse by Ray Carson from Uncanny Magazine, Erica. Uh, I read this one on the podcast, too. (laughs) In which uh, it turns out that in the zombie apocalypse... Uh, giving birth is bad because the zombies smell it and uh, a woman is pregnant and she's going to have a baby and they have to go like lock themselves in a cargo carrier and try not to die. And uh, it's very good. Yes. I'm I'm not a zombie apocalypse sort of uh, fan, but I did think that this was a, a very well done story. And uh, I, I read this one of the podcast too on episode 32A of the Uncanny Magazine podcast. And it was a it was a very fun one to read because these characters are very passionate about what they're doing and feeling a lot of feelings. And it was uh, it's a good story. A guide for working breeds. Two robots talk to each other. Yeah. <laughs> about dogs. Yeah. <laughs> One's a killer. One works at a cafe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Scott, you read a guide for working breeds. That's right. It's I a new robot. <laughs> it's a new robot that has to be assigned to a mentor. That's right. Yep. And uh, the the new robot's really into memes and things, and the other uh, robot is like a is a is a killer robot is an assassin robot an assassin basically yeah. 
and and uh and they exchange emails and file transfers and then they meet and, and then there's a gunfight and cute dog videos yeah yeah yep. Cor- corgis <laughs> Wait, <laughs> corgis i mean that, now this is a short story concept if ever there was one. Mm-hmm. this was my favorite i loved this one this is great everyone should just read this yeah it is and it's, it's very it's, short Yep. It's executed very well too. I'm I'm always a bit of a sucker for a short story that uses something other than just you know paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs. So the the fact of it being you know of text exchanges and file exchanges and stuff uh, was was an, another in mm. the plus column for me because it was delightful and it was it was delightful to experience. Well, the mentor was... robot is super annoyed at this super annoying <laughs> new robot, but that's part of the fun. Yep, and it uses that format and kind of does fun things with it but the names and the for, you know the formatting mm-hmm. and, right and it, it's good has to get a, screen has a name. nice little twist at the end it does mm-hmm. that's good that's a good story a little free library by naomi kritzer um what if in a little free library in your neighborhood sometimes there were books from parallel worlds well, then I would be delighted, Jason, because mm-hmm. I was delighted with this story. Just, yes. That is a concept that just Isn't everything it about it, yeah. everything about it is uh, just a delight. And let I me, thought that the story was, too. Let me restate. Now, this is a perfect little short story idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. It is delightful. Yeah. And yeah. I was wondering, I was like, how are you going to end this? And, and it just worked. Ended. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A In a good story. way, though. In yeah. a good mm-hmm. way. Yeah. Yep. Well, there's something uh, almost a lightness about about a short story, right? Where you really have this really very good, clever short story idea, and you execute it, and then you're done. Like, and yes. you don't have to. You just a, a perfect short story is like that, where it's like, does it need to be more? Can it bear the weight of being a novel? Right? Doesn't matter. Mm-mm, no. Mm-mm. Just a no, really clever it, idea. I think it ends perfectly. I was reading it on my iPad using uh, the reader mode in Safari, and I thought as I got to the end. Did this cut off the ending? Nope. <laughs> is this so? I, I went back, reloaded and looked at the webpage. I was like, "Oh no, okay, this makes sense." But uh, the Mermaid Astronaut by Yoon Ha Lee. Uh, what if the Little Mermaid went in a spaceship <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. discovered the consequences of near light speed travel? Yeah, mm-hmm. time dilation and all of that. Mm-hmm. Also great. Great, really. I loved. I love these short stories. I loved all yeah, these short did stories. Yeah, it's good this year. It's going to be really, really hard. Yeah. to do my ballad because this is was great and memorable, and um, just I it's love a, a nice, fairy tale. A nice, a nice spin on it because it's a science fiction fairy tale, which is a mm-hmm. a fun way to do it. And and the 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 mermaid, you know, mermaid looks at the stars and they're like, well, we can go to the witch and she'll give you legs, and then you can go on the spaceship and promise to come back and then there's time dilation so lots of time passes mm-hmm. and it's like you need to take me home uh it's yeah there's a lot this is one of those things it's like this was a short story it's so packed <laughs> it's so detailed in my memory but it's just a short story and it works it, it does. works it, it does, does it didn't feel like it needed to be longer it was it was just right metal like blood in the dark by t kingfisher a story of brother and sister robots created by a wizard, sort of, who has to leave for a while his their planet, and then another being comes and is bad, and they have to figure out how to stop the bad being. And again, I thought this was really good. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of Hansel and Gretel uh, in as mm-hmm. robots in space. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I read this uh, for the Uncanny uh-huh. Magazine podcast, too, episode 36A. Uh, and, I mean, anytime T. Kingfisher is in the mix 
and uncanny. I'm always kind of going, oh, I hope it's in the podcast. Oh, I hope we get to read it. And then I did. And it was so good. Yeah. I just I really love this story. Really so tense, much. too, because it's like they they are innocent and they are exploited by this other being and then they have to sort of figure out is there a way like Hansel and Gretel right they have to figure uh-huh. out is there a way for us to trick this being in, and so that we can escape or kill them or whatever we need to do to get out of here and uh it, it yeah there's a lot and and this one had too there was so much character development in such a short compact right? amount of time there is a, a, at some point in the story there's a pebble and the color of the pebble, uh, it's important. Uh, basically, one of these robots is learning the art of lying, like how to yes. lie. So they have this pebble and they like, you know, they keep it. And the pebble was, I think it was brown to start with. And this you know, this robot just decides to tell themselves the pebble was black. Like yes. that's the first the first idea oh, they have the about lying sin. and like every time every time they this pebble is mentioned like i just get goosebumps it's just like oh wow and mm. finally speaking of really great little short story ideas the open house on haunted hill by john wiswell in which a haunted house needs a new owner and oh. will do any specific sort of haunting required in order to charm someone into living in it that's it that's the story <laughs> But it's not. It's not so super much. haunted, though. No, it's a. It's a sweet it's not story. Evil. It's, exactly. it's not, okay, one of my as a kid, one of my favorite books was The Little House, which is about. Um, it's actually about urbanization in America because it's a little house that's in the countryside, and the city grows up all around it, and then they pick it up and they take it back out into the new countryside. Um, and I was thinking about that when I was reading this because it's the same. It, it the little house has personality. The windows are its eyes and all of that. And I felt like that. It's like the the haunted house just wants people to live in it. It's not trying to kill anybody. It it just wants people to live in it. That's its purpose is to get people to live in the house. And it's like, oh, the dad needs a room where he can go to do. I'll make a room for him to go do his work in. I'll just put. The, I'll add this trans dimensional room, and then he'll want the house. And yeah. It's uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I just thought it was sweet. Another another just sort of charming, cute, sweet story. I w- I want that house. It, I, I know there is a. It, this also made me think of a book that I read growing up, and I don't remember a whole lot about it. But it it was about a house. It was it had like I don't know the clothes could put themselves away and stuff like I I don't really remember it fully. But it was like one of my favorite books when I was probably like scott's kids age and uh i hadn't thought about that book in years and i was reading the story and i was like oh i'm getting like warm fuzzy nostalgic feelings Mm. now it reminds me a little bit of another short story that includes a house but in a completely different kind of context in there will come soft rains by ray bradbury uh which oh, is yeah. about this it's a automated bad house. house that's standing <laughs> by itself after a nuclear apocalypse. But uh, a similar kind of, well, the, the Air Bowl Comes Off Rains is much more melancholic than mm. uh, Open House on Haunted Hill. But. Yes. Mm-hmm. Those are the uh, the short stories. Yeah. What a what a crew. A lot of great stories. stuff. Good crop. Yeah. Dang. A lot of really good stuff in there. It's going to be hard to vote. I agree. It's going to be hard. All right. Before we go. Uh, let's do a quick round of what are we reading? If you've got a book or two that you've uh, read lately that you want to recommend to people, now would be a great time to do it. Erica, do you have anything? 
I do. I have uh, two. One I'll just mention super quickly because I finally got around to reading Becky Chambers' The Galaxy and the Ground Within. And if you want to hear why you should uh, read that book, listen back to the last time Jason talked about it or the time yep. before that. <laughs> yep. It's great. It's good. Um, I also read a novella called Light Chaser by Peter F. Hamilton and Gareth L. Powell. And it was delightful. It is about uh, uh, a woman who is a light chaser. There's the title right there. Uh, who is uh, there are there are several light chasers. It's, it's a, a a vaunted position. You basically get genetically engineered so you can kind of just almost live forever, and you live alone on a spaceship with an AI, and you go from planet to planet, and you trade. So you you have all of this stuff from from all of these planets, and you each each planet is very different. They're sort of at a different stage of uh, you know, like one's very medieval and one's very science fictiony and one's. Very very like Nordic, um, and and she's only there once every thousand years, and it takes a thousand years to make one circuit, and then she comes back to like the really technological planet and like takes a vacation for a week or whatever, and then just does this over and over and over again, and she's like twenty six thousand years old at this point, and starts to realize something's something's weird. This this uh, people keep coming up to her and talking to her and saying a name that she is supposed to recognize, but she kind of does and kind of doesn't. Uh, and it ends up there's there's some science fictiony reincarnation stuff going on, and maybe the AIs aren't quite what they seem. Ooh. And it uh, this is one where actually I kind of would have preferred it to be a novel because I really liked it and I wanted a little bit more. I felt like there could be even more connecting tissue in there. Um, but it, even as it was, it was a, it was a wonderful little read, and I went through it real real fast. So definitely definite recommendation. I also enjoyed Light Chaser. Peter F. Hamilton is one of my favorite authors, and I having him write something by him. that is less than seven hundred pages long oh. is impressive. <laughs> yeah, and this was way less. Nice. Yes, thank you, Aline. Oh, let's pull up Goodreads. So I don't remember what I was reading the last time we recorded, but um, this year I have worked my way through, I think, all of Lois McMaster Bujold's books and novellas. Um, so Penrick and Desdemona. Um, and as Dan Morn brings up often when talking about his own writing and his own um uh, people who authors he admires the Verkosigan saga, and I read was reading Verkosigan saga, and was like, oh yeah, I uh -huh. totally see the influence <laughs> in Dan's books yeah. in these, uh, which was lovely. It was it was nice to read that. Um, I have started the Wayward Children um, books. I'm reading Every Heart a Doorway now, uh -huh. and. Um, yeah, I don't know what direction I'm going to go in next. I think I might dive into some, um, I don't know, color of magic or, you know, get into some Pratchett right. or something. I don't mm -hmm. know. Right. Or, or maybe some books from what are we reading? Who knows? Mm -hmm. Pick up Light Chaser oh. or something. I do that every once in a while. It does happen. Scott, what are you reading? Uh, I'm, currently, I'm not reading anything, but I have read previously. Yes. Uh, to go, this just moment. go with it. the title. What have <laughs> uh, we What have we read recently that we liked a little too wordy? That's true. Uh, so I I will do a handful very quickly. Uh, the Dictionary of Lost Words by Pip Williams is. I have this thing about the Oxford English Dictionary, and this is a story about a little girl whose father works on the Oxford English Dictionary, and she. It's kind of one of these books about 
like a person who just happens to be around these momentous historical events and how it impacts their life. And it's that kind of thing. So it's very good. Uh, well, I thought it was very good. I would recommend it. Uh, nonfiction, there's a book called Why Fish Don't Exist by Lulu Miller, which is about uh, how the the scientific uh, classification of fish came around because it was about this one guy, but this one guy has a very complicated story uh, and kind of basically it was one of these books that I read. It's very short. I read it. I closed it. I looked at the cover and I went, huh. <laughs> Uh, which I think is a big uh, mark of my approval. Uh, it's fantastic. And it makes you think about fish in a way that you probably have never mm. thought about fish before. That is uh, a promise. <laughs> that's right. You'll never fi- think of fish the same way again. It's true. Uh, this it, it kind of is a mind-blowing thing at the end that I don't want to spoil. It. But it, it, it is really uh, good. Um, the Personal Librarian is this book about – so J.P. Morgan – was a super rich guy uh who you know we have super rich guys around now but he was uh even richer than these dudes uh and he decided that he wanted a library so he built like this giant building that was just his personal library and then he decided he wanted to start collecting books so he started collecting like every gutenberg every gutenberg bible and you know first folios and all this stuff uh and of course he needed to hire someone to collect books for him so he hired this woman uh and this is this book about this woman it's a novel uh but she was an african-american woman who was pretending to be white so that she could actually do this job and not be rejected by society so it's a very interesting book about this woman who kind of crafted this this world-renowned historical collection of books uh and the jp morgan library still exists you can go visit it in new york uh so there you go. It was fun. Uh, a Psalm for the Wild Built is by yes. Becca Chambers. It's a novella. Oh, yeah. I read that, too. That's on my very list. Very good. That's on very my list sweet. Too. It's, it's, it's short. It's like a novella more than a novel. It mm-hmm. is, uh, I mean, it's the first in the Monk and Robot series. And if you're saying, is there a monk? A, a yes. tea-serving monk, no less. And is there a robot? The answer, friends, yes. Yes. You got it. it you nailed it. It is, in fact, a robot. It's adorable. Uh, it is. It's great. It's Becky cute. Chambers has this way of writing these very adorable stories that you feel like are are very kind of meditative mm-hmm. and not a lot happens, but a lot does happen. It's hard to describe, but it's good. Uh, and then briefly back into the, the world of nonfiction, uh, Eric Larson is one of my favorite nonfiction authors. He wrote a little while ago, In the Garden of Beasts, Love, Terror, and an American Family in Hitler's Berlin. It's about uh, this uh, professor who becomes America's ambassador to Berlin right before Hitler's rise to becoming the Fuhrer and during it and shortly before World War II. And he, it's a very interesting glimpse into a very particular time when the world is kind of at a precipice and uh, why people didn't know or refused to acknowledge what was happening. Uh, so it's interesting. That's a lot. Um since Scott mentioned nonfiction, I'll throw in The Premonition, a pandemic story by Michael Lewis. I really liked it. Michael Lewis is good. It's a, uh, a little story about about preparing for a pandemic and how that didn't work yeah. out. Um, <laughs> Too late. <laughs> yeah. Song for a while, The Wild Bills is great. The other one I wanted to throw out there, I enjoyed Angel of the Crows by Catherine Addison. It mm-hmm. is sort of every Sherlock Holmes story rolled into one with Sherlock Holmes as an angel. And the Dr. Watson in this is named Doyle, which is fun. And Dr. Doyle has a, uh, has a secret, which is interesting. Um, 
fans of the Monstrous Gentlewomen series will enjoy, I think, Angel of the Crows. And I enjoyed it too. It was a lot of fun. And I have two books that were previously recommended on The Incomparable that I read. And you know what? Both Dan and Scott get my endorser's endorsement. They didn't steer Ooh, me wrong. The coveted Snell endorser's I endorsement. I know. It's, the, it's like the, the gold standard of endorser's endorsements. I uh, really enjoyed City of Stairs by Robert mm. Jackson Bennett, a very strange book about a very strange world where the sort of oppressors have been overthrown, but the remnants of their powerful god magic that allowed them to oppress the world remain and may be awakening. Um, lots of really fun characters in it, memorable characters, and some pretty wild ideas. And it's one of those books, occasionally I will describe a book as being like, it feels like there's seven different books that happen in this book. City of Stairs is one of those. I get to the end of one section and I'm like, what? We're only 20% through. (laughs) And it just keeps coming. It's like, all right, let's keep going. Really enjoyed it. And Jason, I just I just bought it. If you uh, and Scott and Dan also highly, I just clicked purchase. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And this is straight up Scott recommendation. 16 Ways to Defend a Walled City by K.J. Parker. Uh, it's so great. It is a fantasy book, but without magic. It's more just sort of set in a, set in a fantasy history kind of thing like alternate world kind of thing it's nothing you've every everything's got a different name and stuff but in the end it's about an engineer who ends up having a giant army outside the walled city that he's inside of and he goes to the emperor and the emperor is basically dead and nobody knows and he's like well who's in charge and essentially they hand him the emperor's seal and say guess it's you buddy and he goes all right how do we keep alive we we have very little we have like this wheelbarrow and this holocaust cloak and that's about it and it just goes from there what can i say it just is one thing after another i loved it so thank you scott not a, not a new book but uh, it's a couple years old. It's not too old. But uh, Scott recommended it in a previous episode. And uh, Dan gave it four stars, too. So just like listen to Scott and Dan. Uh, they won't steer you wrong. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> and I did see that was on your Goodreads list. And I thought, oh, no, if Jason doesn't like this, I will be very sad because, you know, how you have some of those uh, authors that you really love and you recommend them to other people. And they're like, eh, it's fine. And you're like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and KJ Parker is one of those who I know is a very kind of particular taste, but hits me perfectly. Oh, man. It's very entertaining and uh, just a big high concept kind of thing. It just, just like, and there, there, I, 16 ways to defend a walled city. I told my family that this is what I was reading and they said, so, so what are the, you know, and I, what are the, what are the 16 ways? I'm like, well, no, see, the story is that, that what the, what the narrator says is there are 15 ways and we can't do any of those. So I guess I'm going to have to figure out the 16th way. <laughs> and that's what the book is. It's great. I loved it. Uh, but now I need to know why fish don't exist. So, mm-hmm. Scott. Selling more books all the time. All right. That ends this book club. I have plans to bring us back for another book club before the end of the year. Gasp. Where we can talk uh, more broadly about books that people should read. You know, there was that NPR list about like the great science fiction and fantasy books. I never even bothered to look at that because I was like, no, it'll just make me mad. Don't don't look. Don't bother. Maybe we'll make a list. Oh. (gasps) 
Huh? Mm. Maybe? The only the, way to fight a list is with another list. I agree, Does that Scott. Work? Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, the, yeah, and the only way to build a list is with a draft. Anyway, <laughs> oh. we'll see what happens. <laughs> but, uh, no promises except sort of a promise, but we'll see what happens. The future's promised to no one. But uh, we have done our job. I'm giddy. We read all the books, everybody. Uh, unfortunately, it's so late in the day that the new list is going to come any day, and we're just going to have to get back on the track now. <laughs> so gather ye novels while ye may. <laughs> yep. Uh, but uh, that wraps up this book club journey. Thank you for taking it with me, Aline Sims. Thank you. I love incomparable book clubs. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's nice. It's fun. It's good to have books to read. Uh, Scott McNulty, thank you as always. Thank you, Jason. It's a pleasure. And here's hoping I've already read some of the books that will be nominated. That's Wouldn't always that be nice? a delight. Wouldn't that be nice? Fingers and, crossed. And Eric Ansign, thank you for taking this journey too. High fives all around. High fives all around. Yeah. Thanks to everybody out there. If you took the journey with us, and if not, I hope you've gotten some ideas of books that you could read down the road or short stories or novels or not novellas or whatever. You know, we, we, we covered a lot here. Read People, the words. Reading is good. And uh, we'll be back next week. Probably something that isn't reading related. That's okay. It's not all about reading. There's other stuff Aww. too. But uh, until then, goodbye. Goodbye.